Many individuals, groups, and organizations have been doing important work in their local healthcare environments to try to alleviate and solve problems related to bias and discrimination in medicine. One such example comes from the University of Utah. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jose Rodriguez, a tenured professor in the Department of Family and Preventive Medicine and the Associate Vice President for Health Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at University of Utah Health. Dr. Rodriguez has co-authored a perspective article about diversifying the University of Utah Family Medicine Residency Program as part of a series of brief case studies of initiatives that aim to address a particular manifestation of discrimination in medicine or healthcare. Dr. Rodriguez, how did you determine that the Family Medicine Residency Program at your institution had what you considered to be too few residents from groups that are underrepresented in medicine? And then how was the decision made to commit to increasing the program's diversity? University of Utah is located in a very diverse city, Salt Lake City, Utah, where things are changing rapidly. And one of the things that the residency program leaders noticed was that the population that they were serving was beginning to look and speak very differently than the residents. If I could take some time to talk about it, turns out that Salt Lake City is a refugee resettlement area. And so there's probably 120 languages spoken at the dinner table in Salt Lake City alone from places all over the world. And these aren't languages that are learned through missionary service. These are native languages that people learned while they were living, being born in places in Africa, Asia, and South America. Lots of linguistic diversity. We have a Latino population that's, well in the last 30 years is probably quadrupled or more. We're looking at 500,000 Latinos in the state of Utah and probably 450,000 of them being Spanish-dominant Latinos. So we noticed that things were different as there wasn't very much race, ethnicity, diversity in the residency program. And they had just gone through five years of not matching anyone who didn't identify as white. Now, the University of Utah has been very careful about not using race in any kind of hiring decision or in any kind of admissions decision. And this is due to things that happened a long time ago with legislative scrutiny, probably an audit that happened 20 years ago. We have a close relationship with the legislature. And probably since the early 2000s, the use of race, ethnicity, and gender in admissions decisions and in hiring decisions have been strongly discouraged, and we've acted like they were forbidden for a very long time. So we don't use those categories for making higher decisions or for making admissions decisions for any of the programs that are not federally funded for those groups. So the Native American Research Institute is for people who are descendants of or members of federally recognized tribes. So in that program, all the people are Native American, but there's very few programs that don't cross all races, ethnicities, and political affiliations, and that's probably the only one that doesn't cross all of them. So that's where we were. We noticed that the patients had needs, and we noticed that we needed to change the composition of the residency program to meet those needs. We also noticed something else, and that is that diversity enriches the individual experiences of the residents whether they come from an underrepresented group or not. It just makes it better for them to understand what is happening in the population 
when they have representatives of some of those populations in their class. So that's how it was determined. We noticed that there was a need. And the noticing of the need happened before I came to the University of Utah. It was through the team at the University of Utah Family Medicine Residency Program. They're the ones who noticed the need. And then we started talking about how we could address that need. You say in your perspective article that the decision was that the first step would be to diversify the interview pool. So why was that seen as the initial priority and how do applicants generally land an interview? We learned that that was the initial priority by analyzing the data. And we saw that very few people who identified as underrepresented in medicine were interviewing. And we understood that if you want to increase those who match in the residency, you need to increase the number of people you interview. The mechanism, however, was complicated. Can't use race ethnicity in this decision. So we had to use other tools. And very, very careful planning went into designing this rubric that's presented in the article. The other thing that we learned as we were looking at our data was that it's clear that when you interview for residency program slots, you probably have to interview, at the time it was either eight or 10 people for every slot. So if there's eight positions, you need to interview 80 people. If there was 10 positions, you need to interview 100 people. But the same thing was true if the resident identified in the underrepresented space. And that is that if we were to expect one to match you, we needed to interview at least 10. But there was no mechanism to go through and pick identities because that is not something that we do here. And frankly, I don't think it's done anywhere. So the residency program leaders were blinded to race, ethnicity, and gender. I mean, obviously, there's going to be clues in those applications, but there was the self-identifying function where people choose their gender identity or their race, ethnic identity. Those were blinded to the application reviewers. What factors then did you focus on instead of race? Well, it turns out that we started talking about what makes a good doctor. And in those discussions, we learned a lot of things. One of the things that we learned is that what makes a good doctor, especially a good resident, is to be able to get up after you fall down or after you've been pushed down. It's that gritty resilience. And so we started looking for resilience and for grit. And one of the things that showed those characteristics were experiences that they had in medical school or during their undergraduate years. So that's where the resiliency score comes from. And we asked specific questions. If they were a parent in medical school, they were awarded resiliency points. If they had other adverse experiences that they overcame during medical school, they earned resiliency points. And where when we found as we were changing this, it selected for more underrepresented in medicine residents who chose to interview with us. There's also something else that's very important here, and that is the University of Utah has always been very good at outreach. And we spent a lot of time in the outreach in places like the American Academy of Family Physicians Conference for Residents and Students. And virtually every residency program in the United States recruits at that conference for family medicine docs. And those efforts made a difference. We actually began to present at those conferences. And those conference presentations really did change a lot because people started to see the University of Utah differently because we had a reputation that we had to overcome. And then 
How has the composition of your residency class changed since you implemented these new procedures? The residency program, before we started working, changing the rubric, had no one who identified as underrepresented in medicine in the program as a resident for five years straight. And so once we started looking at the rubric and making some changes and awarding points for experiences, and some of the experiences that build resiliency weren't adverse experiences at all. But once we started giving points for those experiences, more people came to interview. The first year, we didn't have any underrepresented people match, but we did have people of color match. And then the next year, it just started changing rapidly. During this time, that pandemic hit and the pandemic changed a lot of things. And one of the things that changed was how people interviewed. And since we were all doing Zoom interviews, it reduced a barrier for a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily take a chance on going to a place that they'd never heard of or had never been to. But when the cost was reduced, people would accept the interview calls. And so we started to interview a lot more underrepresented in medicine residents. And so we went from that 0% to 20% to 30%. And this year, the incoming class was 50% underrepresented in medicine. And so now the average of the three years is 36% of residents that come from underrepresented groups, strictly by race ethnicity category. We've always done well when it comes to gender identification. Family medicine, as you know, is mostly women in the residency space. And our residency program has been like that for a very long time. But for race, ethnicity, it changed rapidly in those five years. And now we're at 36%. And this year's match is looking very good. Of course, we don't know until after everything is done because we're blinded to the information. The credit has to go to the residency program leaders and the residency program recruiters who did all the work. Our job in the office of associate vice president was to kind of map it out and say, listen, these are some things that you can do to change things. The other thing is that family medicine has a huge advantage when it comes to diversifying the workforce because the family medicine specialty as a whole is the most diverse in the country and diversity of leadership matters. So how have these steps within the Department of Family and Preventive Medicine fit in with other diversity efforts at the university. Have the efforts been coordinated in any way? So in my role as Associate Vice President for Health Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, coordination of the efforts is my job. And so one of the things that we first looked at when we started this was how do we diversify the faculty? And the fastest way to do that is actually to diversify the residence pool because we hire from our residents. And that's not just in family medicine, that's across the institution. So we underwent efforts in our program and other residency programs did the same thing. They don't use the same tools, but they got the same results. So our ophthalmology and our anesthesia residencies who hadn't had a Black resident in very many years, decades actually, started to recruit and retain residents from that group to be a part of their residency program. And this year we have more who are who matched in ophthalmology. And these are small programs, like ophthalmology has four people a year. But if you have two people who identify as Latino, that's half the class. And so those are just two examples. Beyond that, the Office of Health Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at the Spencer Fox Eccles School of Medicine has an assistant dean who's charged with helping the programs 
diversify essentially. And so one of the things that we started to do was to start talking openly with potential residents about the atmosphere at the University of Utah. And so we called them inclusion days. And everyone was invited to come to the inclusion days except for evaluators. So we had our diverse pool of residents who would come to inclusion days and speak to the applicants. But those of us who were evaluators would say, hi, my name is Jose Rodriguez. Thank you for coming. Please ask our residents whatever you want, and we hope you enjoy this. Now, we've not done it in person. That's all been done virtually. But those frank and honest discussions about what could be expected, what people would learn, and what kind of experiences they would have, I feel make a difference for the potential applicant. In addition to that, we recognize that some of the things that have to happen have to happen before residency. So our office has multiple outreach programs that start in high school. And we have now residents who have matched that participated in the high school program, participated in our pathway program in medical school, and then became residents. The one I'm thinking of just matched in ophthalmology a few, I want to say weeks ago, but it's probably just days. But that person participated in multiple pathway programs. And we're not shy about it. We ask people about the pathway programs and their admissions in medical school and in their admissions to residency. Well, not in their residency program application because we don't have that ability. But for medical school, we do. So we're following our investments. And one of the things we learned as we started coordinating this effort is that if you participated in the Saturday Academy as a high school student, you are 2.3 times more likely to go to grad school compared to your University of Utah colleagues than if you didn't participate in the high school program. And we found that to be an amazing value. And so the coordination of these efforts has really paid off for these students. And a lot of them come from other places and end up here in summer programs. So there's a Native American Research Institute. There is a genomic summer research program. All of these programs are grant-funded and attract people from minoritized backgrounds from across the country. They come here. They live here for a summer. It's paid for. It changes how people think about this. And then it puts our programs on the radar for medical school, for grad school, and for residency. Finally, what lessons did you learn from this intervention that could be relevant to residency programs at other institutions? What advice would you give? The first thing that I would say is it is important to recognize that our diversity efforts are not about diversity alone. They are about mitigating disparities in healthcare, and they are about making things better for patients. So because our diversity efforts are essentially about getting better quality care to our patients, they are well-received across the institution because everybody wants better quality care. Unfortunately, diversity has become almost a bad word in a lot of places. And the state of Utah has recently passed a law saying that, well, it's a law that was passed in Florida and Texas, almost identical. But our institution and the people in the institution are committed to this effort. So first thing is commit because it's better for the patients. The second thing When we started it, I think a lot of people were thinking that this is the field of dreams concept. In that movie, Kevin Costner builds a baseball field in this corn field. And the whole theme of the movie is if you build it, they will come, which is partially true. You have to build the infrastructure, but you also have to message that being here will be good. And so we did that. 
The third thing that I think is very important is to ensure that your residents are having a good time. Now, that's a hard thing to ask. Residency program is hard, and residency programs in all specialties are difficult. And so to ensure that they have a good time, it means not that they don't have to work hard. It means that when things arise, you deal with them and you deal with them in a timely fashion. And our residency program leaders found themselves in a difficult situation where the residents were not having a good learning experience and they fixed it. It wasn't immediate, but it happened during the time of an individual residency. So a family medicine residency is three years. If you had the bad experience as a first year, by the time the third year happened, people made significant changes that were palpable and obvious to the residents. So changing your atmosphere and changing how people are received is important. I'm pleased with the work that's happened in our residency program because we have gifted leaders there who have been committed to making it better and better every year. And so the rubric that's in the article changes when the results are not what we're looking for. And we continue to tweak it to make it the best tool we can use. And we wanted to share it because we're in a place where affirmative action is illegal now. Well, it's not been always illegal in Utah, but we haven't been able to use race, ethnicity, and gender in employment decisions for some time. But I think it's a useful tool for places across the country so that they can continue to make their class look like their patients and bring a better experience to their residents, no matter what the laws are. Thank you, Dr. Rodriguez.